Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we get started with the podcast, I just want to let you know about our sponsor, Anchor. We're new to podcasting here at Salty Saints, and Anchor has made it so easy for us to get started. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, so let me explain a little bit about it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. The best part about Anchor, though, is that it's absolutely free. So if you, like us, want to get your word out there, you want to try your hand at podcasting, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, welcome to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm sitting here with Randy Spate. What's up, Randy? Hey, Zach. I'm doing great. Awesome. We are going to be talking about, the, I guess, like the the way the biblical timeline fits into history. Yeah. I mean, I we're going to talk about history in general, just where... Where things kind of fit, both inside the Bible and especially where they fit with what's going on outside the Bible, because uh, you you said something just before we started, and I think it's absolutely true. Most people kind of have the Bible exist in its own little bubble. So there is biblical history, and then there's world history. Well, guess what? Biblical history occurs inside world history. And sometimes I think it's a it's a handy thing for us to get a sense of, hey, this is going on uh, in the Americas at that time, and this is going on in China at that time, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's super cool. I uh, I remember the first time I had that sort of put into perspective for me. Um because I, I guess like I had this – let me say it like this. Like when I when I think of the Bible, everything is sandy brown. <laughs> everything is antiqued and old and made of stone. And, you know, like the, there's this very um, – I, I don't know. It feels like the movie Stargate or something. You know, like that's what <laughs> – yeah. it's like Egypt, you know, almost like Egypt. And so I think of that and that feels way more ancient to me than say like European Middle Ages. Right. But there's some overlap there, you know, like like between like with like Rome and Greece and things like that. You know what I mean? Like these more like what we think of as like more of a European sort of influence, like those are not all that far apart in the timeline. That's right. And That's right. I remember the moment that became clear to me was realizing Xerxes from the movie 300 where that he would have come just after Daniel essentially he's, he's uh Artaxerxes from the book of Esther right and so that kind of that kind of blew my mind i was yeah, like yeah. wait so like this movie is taking place like at the same time or similar time as the biblical stories are happening you know it's it 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 gives you it makes it more real for me like it helps me understand the reality of it i guess is a good way of putting it. And, you know, if if we do no more than that, uh, that's a worthwhile thing because the more people understand that what what is recorded in Scripture took place in time and space. I will, uh, I'll, I'll say one more little goofy thing that I did, and I, who knows, maybe I got scammed. I don't know. But I was on this website. That's always a good way to start it, right? And... Uh, they it's were, on the internet. It's true, <laughs> it's right? It's true, right? <laughs> and so they had these currencies from ancient cultures that they were selling. And it was, I mean, it was a legitimate currency website. And I just remember one of them was the currency that would have been in circulation at the time of Christ. Wow. When he was born. Wow. And I bought one because I wanted to be able to like hold it in my hands and yeah. like yeah. and like feel it. You know what I mean? Like the, the reality of it. And... I got this thing and I was so excited. I pulled it out and I swear to you, man, it was like 
the size of the tip of my pinky. Like it is the tiniest <laughs> coin I've ever seen. It's so little and goofy, but it's real and it's tangible and it helps me like That's connect. Neat. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. So in in terms of world history, we we talk about different ages, the the Stone Age and the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and they fit with uh, what we're looking at here. Stone Age, uh, there we're talking in uh, all the way from prehistory up to about uh, 3500 BC. So uh, that takes in most of Genesis 1 through 11. Um, by the time you hit uh, Genesis 12, you're talking about Abraham. And there you're in the Bronze Age. So Genesis 1 through 11, these are Stone Age things. Writing is just beginning. So history as such probably existed only in terms of stories of our ancestors being passed on from father to son through generations. So at least up to this point, we probably uh, don't have anything in writing in the Bible. Uh, what we have in Scripture, uh, Genesis 1 to 11, are the memories of the earliest patriarchs of Israel as uh, they're being reported from father to son. Abraham probably learned them from his father, and he gave them on to Isaac, who passed them on, and and uh, they just keep on moving forward. One of the things that's interesting about this is archaeological evidence would show that the Sahara Desert was not always a desert. It was a plains. Uh, but there was a massive, massive drought around the beginning of the of the Bronze Age. And it became a desert. And once it became a desert, man, it did not stop. And even today, the Sahara Desert kind of creeps up and takes more land. Uh, you have to actually fight to uh, keep the desert from expanding. Really? Yeah. Huh. You, you mentioned how... how long ago writing was uh when when writing would have come about um i always think about um like they i think the oldest written language they found is in sumerian on tablets yeah i think so and the oldest one i think they've got is 4200 years old okay yeah and that would be about right okay. yep 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 cool. um once the sahara desert starts to form Nomads now left the desert. It used to be a plains where they could uh, uh, forage and eat, and they can't no more. So uh, they begin to form the Egyptian empires. Uh, They move wherever there is water available, and that is either on the coastlands or along the huge, massive Nile River. So a lot of people settle in the Nile. This is about the time that the Great Pyramid of Giza, the first one, the the, the mother of all pyramids, is mm-hmm. made. The Sphinx probably comes from about that time as well. And uh, Abraham doesn't come around until a couple hundred years later. So Egypt is already flourishing by the time Abraham leaves uh Babylon, Sumeria, Ur of the Chaldees, mm-hmm. and moves into Palestine. Now, not that this is um, accurate history. Uh, I, I don't. I, I'm not trying to make that claim. But Josephus states that Seth and his sons made the Great Pyramid of Giza to is hold. That right? that, that's his account. That. That's his account from the uh, from what was written in the Roman Library. Um, because he claims that they had become well knowledge in um, mathematics and astronomy, and that they wanted that to survive the flood because they knew a flood was coming, wow. and so that's what they built the pyramid for. And he claims the other two were based off of it, but that, that those were built by the Egyptians, but that the Great Pyramid was built by Seth and his sons. Now, whether or not that's accurate, I don't know, but that's what Josephus says. That is incredible. Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. This also, uh, it's, it's kind of a side note, but it's very interesting. If you add up the years that uh, 
Shem, son of Noah, mm-hmm. lived. He outlived Abraham, hmm. who would have been like a great, 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 great grandson or something like that. Oh, that's weird. Now, the reason that becomes important later on is because when the New Testament is written, uh, around that time, there was the, the, the people of Palestine spoke Aramaic. And, of course, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. So uh, Aramaic is just far enough different that they needed kind of a translation. If you're familiar at all with languages, it kind of like be it, it kind of like be going from Spanish to Portuguese, where you can understand a lot, maybe 70, 80 percent, but there's that 20 percent, 25 percent that you don't get. So they began writing um, translations, and they were translation aids of uh, the Old Testament in Aramaic. And when it comes to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14 specifically, Abraham uh, loses his nephew Lot. Kings come and they capture Lot and they, they haul him off. They kidnap him, steal all his possessions. So Abraham and 318 servants go after them. Why 318? The early church said it's a symbol. Um, The 300 is the uh, character Chai, which is the first letter of Christ. And the 18 is the letter T, which of course makes a cross. So uh, it's Christ on the cross that went after Lot and his his descendants. That's the way they interpreted it. But the Jewish uh, Targumim, um, in writing about this time, after Abraham rescued Lot, he comes back, and Melchizedek, priest of God Most High, comes out of uh, Salem, which is later identified as Jerusalem. Not the place with all the vampires. Not the place with all the vampires (laughs) or the witches, right. So what the Targumim says is that Melchizedek, who is Shem, came out to meet Abraham. Why is that important? Because the Jews in the first century did not want to have their ancestor Abraham paying a tithe to a Gentile priest. So they make him an ancestor. They make him a great, 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 great grandfather. And so Abraham bowed before Melchizedek, who is Shem. Now, is that who it was? Not on your life. But that's what they said. That's how they viewed it. And who did you say said this? The early church? No, not the early church. It was uh, the Jews at that time. Hmm. Yeah. So it just kind of shows you their animosity towards the Gentiles. They didn't want Abraham doing anything uh, deferential to a a Gentile. It was all about being a Jew. It was (laughs) all about being a Jew, and Abraham was just honoring his ancestor. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. So at about this time, shortly after Abraham, um, we, uh, of course, Israel goes into Egypt, not as a slave nation, but they go there to survive during a a great drought, a drought of seven years. And um, Israel and his entire family moves into Egypt. It's about this time that there is a huge invasion in Egypt, and a people called the Hyksos come in and they conquer Egypt. Well, how does Exodus start? It starts, uh, there arose a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. There arose a pharaoh, very easily could have been the Hyksos, who came so, in. So you think there might have been a transfer of power? At that, like, like Absolutely. Not, well, not just a transfer of power, but, but a whole other people group coming in and taking over what it was It is a Egypt. dynasty change. And mm. when a dynasty changes like that, when when daddy gives over the reins to his son, he keeps all of daddy's 
people. Right. So Joseph and and the Jews, they would have been uh, favored because of what Joseph did for Egypt. Well, that's the part that never made sense to me is like what happened in there where Egypt decided, oh, these aren't the good guys. Like we don't like them anymore. The Hyksos invaded and took over Egypt, overthrew Egypt. That makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah. So you end up uh, eventually uh, Moses comes and uh, Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. Uh, There are two possible dates for that. One is around 1440. The other is around 1270. They're separated by about 170 years. I favor the early date, the 1440, uh, just because of some of the things. but, But one of the things that happens around 1375, there's a pharaoh named Anknaten who uh, he, he becomes pharaoh, and he begins to say, okay, this stuff about a pantheon of gods is not right. There's only one god. Now, why would he say that? I think you get the exodus around 1440, and about 70, 80 years later, one of the descendants of the Pharaoh who died during the Exodus ends up saying, you know, there's something to this, there being one God. So he didn't get it quite right, but he did get right that there is only one God. It was sort of like an event inspired by what he knew about the Jews and the Egyptians. Absolutely, absolutely. So in the world at about this time, you have Stonehenge going up. And that went up over, oh, gee, many, it was around 800 years okay. that they were building that. But it started back 2200 B.C., ended around 1500 B.C. But I don't know. I look at Stonehenge, and I, somehow I place it way before Bible times. Well, it's not. It's Abraham, and it's the time of the judges, and it's it's what's going on uh, all all during that time. Isn't that odd, though? How you can have two things existing at almost the exact same time, and one of them just feels so much older. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Why do we do? I think it's just a human kind of misconception. I think so. I think so. So in China now is when you have the Shang Dynasty. Uh, one of the first, I think there are five major dynasties, and it was the first one. Okay. So it's really kind of the unification of China going on at about this same time. So you get the Exodus, and all of a sudden our attention shifts to Scripture because we get the judges, we get uh, Joshua and judges. Then you get uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. You have Saul who becomes king in Israel, and and then David takes over, and Solomon takes over from David. Those three kings represent about 120 years, about 40 years apiece. What is going on at that very time is Egypt has waned in power. Babylon to the north is building power, but it's nowhere near where it was there's kind of a vacuum of power. There's nobody to bother this new nation that's forming in Palestine. So it kind of comes together. And actually, under David, it takes more territory than it ever had in its entire entire history. It goes all the way down to um, the what, what today we would call the Sudan Canal. Uh, it would include uh, Saudi Arabia and the Sinai Peninsula. But stop before you cross the Suez Canal into uh, into Egypt. And to the north, it goes all the way up into Syria. I mean, David took over massive amounts of territory. Hmm. Now, just um, to kind of put it in context... You said Babylon is a lot weaker now than it had been. Right. Babylon started back under almost— Oh, a long time before, but basically as a relatively small nation. Babylon was a relatively small nation? Initially. But it becomes huge, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Okay. They end up taking over more territory than anybody had prior to them. Right. 
and they're overtaken by somebody who took more ter- territory than they had. So. Really? Okay. All right. That's interesting. This is about the time that uh, you have the Battle of Troy. During David? During uh, David, Saul, Solomon, roughly in that era. And that's the Iliad, right? The That's the Iliad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which is interesting. Movies today, the the movie Troy. Yeah. Uh, which is about Achilles, Brad Pitt uh, doing Achilles. And uh, who's the guy that does... Uh, it's not Mark Ruffalo. It's uh, Eric uh, Bana is Hector. So uh, it, it, it yeah. is kind yeah, of yeah. interesting to to hook these things up. Okay. Well, so Israel after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam, um, Solomon did a lot of building with conscript labor, which means – you're not necessarily my slave, but for these three months out of the year, you got to behave like it. Uh, you leave your home, and you come here, and you build what I want you to build. Then Solomon built stables for horses and cities and fortresses, all kinds of interesting things. But when Rehoboam took over, the people said, cut us some slack. And Rehoboam... Um, what he literally says, uh, Scripture translated, it, it gives a euphemism. Scripture says, my my little finger uh, is greater than my father's waist. Oh. <laughs> well, he didn't say than my father's waist. He said uh, then something about eight inches lower. <laughs> um, my little finger is... Bigger than my daddy's, Dude, you know what? What? And like, oh, uh, the, it, the insult. One of the then. things. One of the things that I love about the Bible is th- there are times like this where it is just crass. It's it's, oh, it's very crazy. earthy, and it pulls no punches. So Rehoboam just he insults his father. He insults the people, and as a result, the ten tribes of Israel leave. And he is left with Judah, and Judah had kind of absorbed the tribe of Simeon. So Judah and Simeon and most of the Levites stayed with the Davidic line, but Judah becomes a very small, relatively insignificant nation because it has no natural resources. It's in the mountains, so the people just eke out a living with terrace farming. They can't do big farms. Um, They're just kind of making it by. The plains is where the action is, and that's what Samaria had. That's what uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had. But conversely, the southern kingdom had one dynasty for over 220 years. The northern kingdom had something like uh, 13 dynasties, over 150 years, and then it ceased to exist. And so we're, we're talking about uh, Israel and, and uh, Judah right now, right? Right, okay. right, right, the divided kingdom. Now, Israel would have been to the north? Israel was the northern kingdom. Right. And so the funny thing I think about that is, remind me which it is, but like if you go through and you look at the entire list of kings under each of those dynasties— is it Israel that never has a good king once it's divided? That's it. Yeah, every king you get a little bit about what they did. Even that is interesting. One of the biggest kings in Israel was Omri, and he gets seven verses. Uh, and two of those verses are, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like his father Jeroboam. <laughs> right. Right. But then Judah has like what three or or maybe it's seven. Is it seven? Judah has a lot more kings that that are uh, they they follow the Lord, right? Yeah, right. I just always fought, found that interesting yeah. because Judah Judah wasn't even. I mean, it was the divided kingdom. Like right. it was, it wasn't Israel. Well, one of the first things that uh, Jeroboam does is he makes a temple in Samaria and sets up an altar. And the two cows. And right? a pagan and a pagan god. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and says, okay, Israel, this is our God. Don't go to Jerusalem to worship there, worship here. Mm. And, uh, yeah, incredible stories around those, including a brave soul that goes from the southern kingdom to the north and uh, prophesies against the altar. The king stands there, points at the prophet and says, kill him. And when he points at the prophet, his hand becomes paralyzed. (laughs) And all of a sudden he says, would you please pray for me that the Lord (laughs) restores my hand? And somewhere in the middle of all of that, the altar bursts open and the ash that had been collecting in that altar just goes everywhere. So you get this insane uh, (laughs) vision of, of just ash flying and and animals running and the king pointing and his hand is paralyzed and here's this man of god standing there saying so you want me to pray for you now huh <laughs> <laughs> um this is uh about the time that that Greece is really coming into its own you have the olympic games uh that are founded uh, shortly after that, you have the nation of Assyria being founded. Assyria wants to attack Egypt, so they come down into Palestine and try to take as much territory as they can there, so that when the battle is fought, it's not going to be fought on Assyrian ground. And that's when the northern kingdom is just decimated. They They take it. Assyria began this uh, program of keeping nations subdued by taking their leaders and deporting them somewhere else. Hmm. So they ship them off somewhere else. And I think it's it's either Josephus or it's in the apocryphal literature, the, the intertestamental literature, that says they went to a land that was beyond uh, the Euphrates. And they're waiting there to come back. Huge number of Israelites waiting there to come back when the nation is reunited. Never happened. Never happened. So, yeah, then Babylon rises. And Babylon does the same thing. They want to attack Egypt. So they defeat Assyria first. And then they go into Palestine. And that's when they take the southern kingdom captive. And they carry them into um, into Babylon, where actually the Jewish community kind of flourished. They retained their ethnic identity so that even this would be around 550 B.C. now, but even around uh, Christ's time, there was still a huge community of Jews in Babylon. In fact, uh, the center of Judaism was probably more appropriately Babylon than it was Jerusalem. At the time of Christ. Even at the time of Christ. So, and and for anybody wondering right now, Babylon would be located in... It'd be, it'd be Iran. Iran. And Iraq. Iraq and Iran. Yep. So both of those entire countries were Babylon. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it was big. It was okay. big. Well, about this time, uh, you get, uh, of course, uh, the movie 300 and 300 Rise of an Empire and uh, the story of, of uh, Alexander the Conqueror who defeats the entire world. He goes, at what he does, first of all, he has an innovative way of fighting. He's a military genius. And whoever he conquers, he doesn't deport their leaders he leaves the leaders alone he takes their armies and he makes their army his army and he pays his army well so the armies are willing to fight for him because they're making money they get all the way to India to the Indus River and uh, the story is that Alexander wanted to cross it and conquer India and China and his army refused his army said no we want to go home. And they said Alexander cried when his army said no. And about two years later, he died of malaria. Yeah. And he was young. <laughs> he was young. Yeah. He was he was uh, early 30s. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I mean, I think he what he started conquering at like seventeen, right? Oh yeah, he was way young. He was way young. Um, and uh, sorry, just to we I know we kind of mentioned Christ in there, um, but now Alexander would be taking place when this is before Christ, right? Oh, this is before Christ. This is after the book of Daniel. After the book, of Daniel. Uh, yeah, around this 300. is around four hundred, three hundred. He died. Alexander died in three twenty three. Split his empire into four big divisions. Um, two of those were the Seleucid and the Ptolemies, uh, basically old Babylon and old Egypt. And because they are who they are, they form empires of their own. What Alexander envisioned in having the four divisions of his empire work together never took place. They began fighting each other almost immediately. And uh, as a result, again, Egypt, uh, excuse me, Palestine, Israel, is taken over by the Ptolemies, then the Seleucids. This is where the intertestamental literature comes, and especially the Book of the Maccabees. Okay. Now, a big part of the Book of the Maccabees is about the Hellenization of Israel. And for anybody listening, the Book of the Maccabees is deuterocanonical. It's apocrypha. It's It's apocrypha. That would be part of the Catholic canon, but not accepted in the Protestant. Some of our Bibles might contain it. They are interesting historical, and they are by and large historical. But uh, the point is, uh, some of the leaders in Israel wanted Israel to become a good Greek civilization. So they would actually, they, they created in Jerusalem a gymnasium, uh, which is more than a place to go and shoot hoops. It was educational. It was, um, lectures took place there. And, of course, physical exercise, which was part of the Greek culture. So there was an attempt to turn Israel into basically a subset of the Greek culture. And part of that was to get rid of this crazy um, cult to Yahweh. Mm. And so one of the leaders took a pig into the temple and had it sacrificed on the altar. Okay. The second time he did it, he told the priest to sacrifice the pig, and the priest refused, so they killed the priest. And then he looked at the next guy whose name was Maccabee, uh, Judas Maccabee, and that means Judah the Hammer. He said, uh, kill the pig, and uh, he said, no, I think I'll kill you instead. And he killed the people who were there. He destroyed the altar because the altar had now been tainted. Uh, tainted. Yeah. So do we uh, believe that story? Yes. Uh, so that yes. is yes. Yes. That is, and no, that is that is pretty biblical. much historical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. The intertestamental literature. Some of it is indeed history. Right. And the Maccabees went around to to, uh, the rest of Israel, uniting Israel under the old cult of Yahweh. And part of that is um, the rededication of the temple, where they cleansed the temple and Hanukkah. That's that's what Hanukkah is. It's the rededication, the cleansing of the temple, so that they could again... Uh, worship the Lord. There are, in the Old Testament, five festivals, and there are six Jewish festivals today because they include Hanukkah as one of their major festivals. Rightfully so, because this was huge to go back uh, to the worship of Yahweh. Okay. And when you say Hanukkah, like like Hanukkah? Hanukkah? Like, is yeah, that what you're saying? Hanukkah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, Hanukkah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, Maybe stupid question, but I feel like this might be the proper time frame, so I'm going to ask it, and I apologize if I'm wrong. But was Mark Antony, was he Roman? He was Roman. So that comes later. And he's not far off. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because 
what happens next is that Rome takes over the old uh, Greek empire, Alexander's empire. Right. And so and, that's kind of where you're getting me is like you were talking about the Tol- the Ptolemies. Is that what you said? And that's the, right. And who was the other one? Uh, the uh, Seleucids. Right. And so he wanted to like them to be united. And you said they weren't. Well, that kind of gave me the idea of like Mark Antony and going to like Egypt with Cleopatra. And that's sort of a similar picture there. That's right. Now, what happens is the way Rome governs is uh, they just convert the local leadership into Roman leadership. They will name them governors or or mid-level officials. And in problematic countries, then they will impose a Roman governor. Well, Israel was problematic. Mark Anthony was actually a governor of Israel for a period of time. Really? It was about 50 B.C., so before Christ. And Julius Caesar was uh, around that time. Uh, The great story I love about Julius Caesar, Rome was not always a country of emperors. Uh, Up until Julius Caesar... They would elect uh, Caesar for four years. He'd serve four years, and then they'd elect a new one. That's terrifying. But (laughs) Caesar, they elected him in February of the year 44. They named him Caesar for life. So they elected him as a dictator. They elected him as a dictator. That is strange. One month later, they assassinated him. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. (laughs) What, Man, be careful what you wish for. You want to be emperor for life, okay, then the only way we can get rid of you is to get rid of your life. So That's fair. That's literally what happened to Julius Caesar. They killed him a month after they named him dictator for life. But his son was a really good Caesar, and they kept him around for Tiberius or Augustus. Okay, yeah, there you go. Uh, he took the name Augustus, the the great one, the august one. And, um, yeah, he, he served for around 28 years and did a really good job. Really united Rome. And then after him, everything just breaks down. And this is during now Jesus' time. And things are just, you get Caligula, who is pretty much widely known the guy was a fruitcake. He was nuts. He sent a statue of himself to Israel and said, put it in the temple so my adoring population can worship me. And the governor at that time took it and stuck it in a closet. And he wrote and said, did you put it in the temple? Oh, yeah, it's in the temple. Do they love me? Oh, yeah, they love you. <laughs> so it's so a question. Is Caligula, is, this is at, like at the time of Jesus being young or being born? This is after the time of Jesus. Oh, this is after yeah. the time of Jesus. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, Tiberius, I think, was the Caesar during most of that time. Okay. Israel kept fighting during most of that time. So Rome actually stationed uh, at least one and many times two legions, entire army divisions, just in Israel, just to quell all the rioting that was going on. So just to kind of paint a picture, how many different governors would they have generally had over the course of, like, Jesus' lifetime? It was an average of one every two or three years. So they did so, not serve long. No, they did not serve long. Pilate actually served more than most, and I think he served for about five years, maybe seven. Okay. But there were guys that would serve for months. And, and then be replaced. And then there were two Herods. There were two kings of Israel over the course of Jesus' life, There was life, right? Herod the Great, right. uh, who was the guy who said, kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And then he split up his—he uh, his, he, he was made not governor. The governor from Rome managed Israel for all of Roman purposes— but they, they kind of had Herod a, a fake was the king, king right, right. Of, of Israel. Actually, Herod had the title King of the Jews, which for the Jews was, it was just sticking a finger in your eye because he was a Samaritan. Herod was? Herod was a so Samaritan. So Herod wasn't Jewish. He was not Jew. Well, half Jew. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. That's interesting. Yeah. 
He married a good Jewess who then had a daughter who, because her mother was Jewish, she would have been considered Jewish. She's the one that had John the Baptist killed. But if you remember that story, she danced before Herod, and Herod said, ask whatever you want. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. He was not saying, my kingdom is worth $10 million, I'll give you $5 million. He was saying, you want to be queen? Mm. And being a good, dutiful daughter, she went to her mom and said, okay, this is what Herod has said. What do I ask for? And she said, John the Baptist is the problem here. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. And that's how John was killed. Now, that Herod was Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas. Right. He was given Judea. His brother Philip was given the northern part that would have included Galilee. There was, oh boy, Archelaus, who was given kind of Decapolis. And then a sister was given the area that would have been more coastal. And I forget her name. But all three of the boys were named Herod. Okay. They just had, so they're known in scripture as Herod. But we understand today that this wasn't Herod the Great. He died just shortly after Jesus' birth. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, you know what? No, I'm, no, okay. Would Daniel have taken place? How long would Daniel have taken place before Christ? 550 years. Okay. I'm just. So Daniel served. I mean, this is this is an incredible thing. Daniel served under Darius uh, the Mede and under Cyrus, under Nebuchadnezzar and Nabopolassar. Uh, no, not Nabopolassar. It was um, Belshazzar, his son. Belshazzar was a doofus. Nebuchadnezzar was actually a, a fairly decent king, and Daniel rose to prominence under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar made him the number two in his kingdom. Um, Belshazzar just kind of sidelined him. And the one time that David interacts with Belshazzar is when the finger is writing on the wall. And David uh, Daniel's message for Belshazzar is many, many, take all you for sin. You have been weighed. You have been found wanting. You will be destroyed. <laughs> Your days are numbered. Um, so his only word to Belshazzar is, dude, you're out of here. And shortly after that, he was out of there. Um, Darius the Mede and then Cyrus came up. And Cyrus lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem. Now, why? I think it's because of Daniel. I think Daniel had a lot to play there. Um, Daniel's... Going to Cyrus saying, look at my people. They've, they've come from Jerusalem. A lot of them want to go back. So he says, hey, send them back. Okay. Then you get Artaxerxes. Now, if anything, the movie 300, which is not historical at all, uh, there were about 9,000 soldiers that defended the hot gates. Uh, there were 300 Spartans, but they were part of a, of a much larger force. But uh, they were able to hold off uh, the Persian army for long enough time for Greece behind them to kind of organize. Now, they abandoned Athens, so the Persian army came through and took Athens, but there was nothing there. They were long gone. And they were forming a Greek army, which then just decimated Persia. And in the Battle of... um, Oh, boy, I'm not going to remember it. It's 300 Rise of the Empire. It's a naval battle. Uh, They're just basically uh, destroyed. And Artaxerxes goes back home almost in shame. And I think that's when Esther takes place. First thing that happens is Queen Vashti, when he calls her, she says, No, I'm not going to come. Because he's come home in shame. So he replaces her with Esther. And Mordecai rises to prominence. 
And what happens then? Well, you get Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra says, uh, it's been about 80 years since uh, my brothers have gone to Jerusalem and they're still struggling. There's a second wave of return. And then under Nehemiah, a third wave, each one successively smaller. But on the third wave, they're given all kinds of gold and assets to be able to rebuild the city and the temple. Why? Because of Esther and Mordecai. They have gained favor for the Jewish population. So when you see it in those terms, everything kind of fits together and everything makes sense. Right, right. Um, by the way, that battle is the Battle of Salamis. Battle of Salamis, that's the one. Um and so, sorry, I, I know I jumped back there to back to Daniel again. I'm just trying to kind of bridge gaps there. Um, so, so there would be about 500 years between Daniel and, and Christ. Yes. Now, uh, what what's happening? So during that time, though, that's when you were talking about Alexander the Great. And, right, right. Right. So that kind right. of bridges that gap. That's right. Um, so then, during the time of Christ, what will be happening elsewhere in the world? Uh, I know we talked about Rome. Do we have that at our fingertips? Um, this is the time. Oh, let's see here. Uh, you actually have near this time the Great Wall of China is built, about 200 B.C. Okay. Yeah. You do get Mark Anthony in Egypt, Cleopatra. Yeah. In Egypt, they are just before Christ. You get Julius Caesar just before Christ. Then uh, the Roman um, battle in Europe really is is underway. Okay. So uh, that's probably Gladiator, uh, the movie Gladiator, right. which again is not not a very historical movie at all. The the. Do you mean to tell me Russell Crowe wasn't really a gladiator? <laughs> well, you know, he might have been, but uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix definitely was not a Caesar. <laughs> they invented Caesar, and uh, the uh, gladiatorial games were definitely going on right then. And that part they did get right. Uh, one of the things that the Caesars would do that the Senate hated was have these games where they would kill people for sport. Right. And the Senate hated that. The people loved it, and so the Caesars kept doing it to curry favor with the people. Well, it kept them distracted, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of odd how that works. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so just to kind of complete the story after um, Israel keeps fighting, Around 70, the Roman army comes in and destroys the temple. It decimates the temple. It, there was apparently a rumor that the Jews, when they rebuilt uh, the temple, Herod's temple, instead of mortar, they used gold to stick the stones together. So literally no one stone was left on top of the other. Which is where some people get the whole uh, preterist view of Revelation the revelation is a foretelling of what was going to happen to the Jews when Rome took over Jerusalem. Not saying that that's what it says, not saying that's accurate. I'm just saying that's, but that is that's where that comes from. Interpretation, yeah. Right. Um, they destroyed the temple, but they left Jerusalem there. And it continued there until about 132 AD. In 132, around 130, there was another man. Um, uh, Simeon ben Kokba, Bar Kokba, son of the star. That's a, a messianic reference from the book of Numbers, that the Messiah would be a star. And uh, he was given the title Bar Kokba. He declared himself and was supported as Messiah, uh, rising up against Rome. This time Rome came in and just destroyed everything. Didn't go so hot. It did not go so hot. They deported Jews again away from Jerusalem just to get rid of the problems because as long as they left them there, they knew they were going to keep fighting. 
they actually built a temple to Zeus on top of the old site of Herod's temple. Really? Yeah. They changed the name of the city from Jerusalem to Hierapolis, uh, City of Heights. Huh. Yeah. And it was a Greek polis, a Greek city at that point. Jews didn't live there again until 1948, after World War II. That's very interesting. Yeah. They actually, uh, it kind of became a wasteland between, at some point in there, right? I well, mean, people lived there. People lived there, but uh, they did not identify as Jews. Right, right, right. I just, I was reading something recently on how um, it, it was only recently that the Jews had started to kind of recultivate the land to where they could really grow things like they used to because it had been so – basically they'd had famine and drought there for – That's kind of, I think, the idea of the kibbutz. Okay. Uh, they would reclaim uh, desert lands. And, and you have to understand, when you talk about Israel being a desert, it's not like a Sahara desert full of sand. It's just barren. It's It's rocks. It is so rocky and so hilly. It's hard to get anything to grow there just because of the number of rocks and uh, natural erosion. You get a good solid rain, and whatever ground you had at the top of that hill, it's coming down to the bottom. Man, that's wild. I We covered a lot. We did, and the whole purpose of this is just kind of get a sense of what's going on in history at the same time that we have uh, these biblical stories going on as well. Right, right. The, to, to let you realize that this this is real life. I mean, this this really happened. We, we read history books, and we have, we have no difficulty kind of <laughs> accepting that as, oh, yeah, that happened not so long ago, you know? I think once you get past a certain point, once you go far enough back, everything starts to seem like a fairy tale. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and we gotta we we've gotta put that in focus and realize no this this is real this happened right so cool well thank you guys for listening to another episode of Salty Saints podcast um, if you want to support us you can do so at Anchor dot com uh, make sure to leave a comment let us know what you think let us know what you'd like to hear about in the future um, yeah stay salty. I found myself on a ledge, three stories high, at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy and the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.